Chapter 25 of History of Philosophy This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. History of Philosophy by William Turner. Chapter 25 John Scotus Erigena. Life. John Scotus Erigena, or Ierigena was born between the years 800 and 815. Ireland was probably the place of his birth. About the middle of the ninth century he appeared at the court of Charles the Bald, by whom he was placed at the head of the palace school. He was ordered by his royal patron to translate the writings of Pseudo-Dionysus and of Maximus Confessor. He is said to have gone to Oxford at the invitation of Alfred the Great and to have founded a school at Malmesbury, where, according to a tradition by no means reliable, he was put to death by his scholars. These biographical data are, with the exception of his relations with Charles and with the palace school, matters of great uncertainty. There are many reasons for supposing that Erigena was a layman, although Stockel believes that he was probably a priest. Sources Erigena composed, besides the translations of Pseudo-Dionysus and Maximus Confessor, a comprehensive philosophical work, De Divisione Naturae, and a treatise, De Egressu et Regressu Animae ad Deum, of which only a fragment has come down to us, to the predestination controversy which was waged in the ninth century between Gottschalk Ratramus and Servius Lupus, on the one hand, and Hincmar, Florus, and Remy, Archbishop of Reims, on the other, Erigena contributed a treatise, De Praedestinatione, which seems to have given offence to both parties. In the other great controversy of the ninth and following centuries, the dispute concerning the doctrine of transubstantiation, in which Ratramnus and Berengar were opposed by Pascasius Radbertus and Lanfranc. Erigena also took an active part. The work, however, De Capore e Sanguine Domini, which has been ascribed to him, is undoubtedly to be assigned to some other writer of the ninth century, very probably to Ratramnus. Of considerable importance in determining the philosophical views of Erigena are his Expositiones, commentaries on the works of Pseudo-Dionysus, and the commentary on Martianus Capella, fragments of which were published by Oro, the commentary on the Gospel of St. John, and the Homilia in Prolegomenon Evangelii Sec Ionem, are Erigena's contributions to scriptural exegesis. The works of Erigena, as published by Dr. Floss, are reprinted in Means Patrologia Latina, volume 122. The De Divisione Naturae was first published by Gale, Oxford, 1681. A recent addition to our secondary sources is Alice Gardner's John the Scot, London, 1900. Erigenus Philosophy General Idea of Erigenus Philosophy in its general outlines, the philosophy of Erigena is Dionysian, that is to say, Neoplatonic, 
Erigena carries the union of philosophy and theology to the point of identifying the two sciences. In his work, De Praedestinatione, he quotes St. Augustine as saying, Non alium esse philosophiam id est sapientiae studium et alium religionum cum ii quorum doctrinum non approbamus nec sacramenta nobiscum communicant. But while Augustine evidently means merely that the speculative aspect of religion is as important as the practical, Erigena understands him to mean that philosophy and religion are one and the same. For he continues, Quid est aliud de philosophia tractare nisi verae religionis, qua summa et principalis omnium rerum causa, Deus et humiliter, colitur et rationabiliter investigatur regulas exponere? Conficitor inde verum esse philosophiam verum religionem. Conversimque veram religionem esse veram philosophiam. We have here the characteristic trait of scholasticism, though in an exaggerated form, the attempt, namely, to find a rational basis for the union of reason and revelation. Later on, the great masters of scholasticism while recognising the union of reason and revelation, will allot to philosophy a sphere of its own, maintaining that faith and science are distinct, though perfectly accordant with each other. Thus, St Thomas would not subscribe to Erigena's methodological principle that the Scripture and the Fathers are sources of proof in philosophy. The identification of philosophy with theology by Erigena is not to be understood as an advocacy of rationalism. It is true that Erigena maintains the priority of reason with respect to authority, as when he says, Omnis auctoritas quae vera ratione non approbatur infirma esse videtur. But this is a principle common to all the scholastics. Far from being a rationalist, Erigena is more inclined to take sides with the mystics, to belittle all reason, unless insofar as reason is illumined from on high. Instead of rationalising theology, he would theosophize philosophy. Erigena assigns to philosophy a fourfold task, to divide, to define, to demonstrate, and to analyse. Resolutiva. This may be described as Erigena's definition of the applicability of dialectic to philosophy and theology, a notion which, like that of the union of faith and science, is destined to develop in the subsequent growth of scholastic philosophy. General Metaphysical Doctrines The treatise De Divisione Naturae begins with the definition of nature, Nature is quid quid vel animo per sepi potest vel animi intetionem superat. Nature is therefore synonymous with being. The first great division of nature is into things which are and things which are not. Now, there are five ways in which a thing may be said not to be. 1. 
A thing is not in the sense that it cannot be known. Quae per excellentiam suae naturae omnem sensum intellectum reationemque fungiunt, jure videri non esse. In this sense, God and the essences of things are non-existent. 2. A thing is not relatively to something else, in the sense that, being what it is, it is not that which is higher. Inferiores affirmatio, superiores est negatio. Inferiores negatio est superiores affirmatio. That is, a plant is not because it is not an animal, and in like manner every being is relatively not being. 3. A thing is not when it is in mere potency. Quae vero ad hoc in naturae sinibus continetur nec in formata materiae apparent dissimus non esse. Erigena adduces the example of the human race potentially constituted by God in the first man. 4. A thing is not, in reference to the intellect, when it is enveloped, as it were, in material conditions. Quae locorum species temporumque notibus verantur, collegiuntur, solvuntur, vere dicuntur non esse. 5. Finally, there is a mode of not being which is peculiar to man. Man's being is the imaged beauty and holiness of God, when by sin he loses this dignity, destroying the image of God which is in him, man ceases to exist, he is not. Leaving this fivefold enumeration of the modes of not being, we come to the celebrated division of nature into 1. Natura quae creat et non creatur 2. Natura quae creatur et creat 3. Natura quae creatur et non creat and 4. Natura quae nec creatur nec creat 1. Natura quae creat et non creatur is God, the origin, principle and source of all things. True to the tenets of the Dionysian philosophy, Erigena denies that God can know himself. God is incomprehensible to himself as he is to us. For to know himself, he should place himself in one of the categories of thought, and that is impossible. In discussing the possibility of our knowing God, Erigena dwells on the twofold theory of theological predication. There is the affirmative theory, which says that substance, goodness and so forth may be affirmed of God, and there is the negative theory, which maintains that all these predicates should be denied. The truth, according to Erigena, is that these predicates may be affirmed of the supreme being, if they are taken in a metaphorical sense. In their proper or literal meaning they must be denied, because God is more than substance, more than goodness. Thus, though in speech we affirm these and other predicates, in thought we deny them. In pronunciatione est forma cataphatica, in intellectu autem apophatica. It is remarkable how much the first most daring of the schoolmen is willing to concede to agnosticism. What is said of predicates of God 
in general is true also of the term creator. God and the action by which he made things are one. When therefore we say that God is creator, we mean, according to Erigena, that he is more than creator, that he is in all things as their sole substance. Cum ergo ortimus deum omnia faceare nil aliud debemus intelligere quam deum im omnibus esse, hoc est essentiam omnium subsistere, ipse enim solus posse vere est, et omne quod vere in his quae sunt dictur esse ipse solus est. This pantheism is professed over and over again as, for example, Deus namque omnium essente est, quie solus vere est, and the oft-quoted formula of Pseudo-Dionysus, esse omnium est superesse divinitatis. It is true that Erigena sometimes speaks of God as separate from creatures. Ipse Deus in se, ipso ultra omnem creaturam nullo intellectu comprehenditur, and again, Deus non est totum creaturae, neque creatura pars Dei. Nevertheless, we cannot, without accusing Erigena of self-contradiction, attach any philosophical value to these expressions. They are merely the incidental use of common modes of speech. For Erigena certainly maintained that the being of creatures is the being of God, and that by creation God becomes his creatures. This consideration leads to the next division. 2. Natura quae creatur et creat. By this our philosopher understands God as containing in the word logos the primordial causes or types of things formed before all creation. Pater id est omnium principium in verbo suo. Unigento videlesit filio. Omnium rerum rationis quas faciendas esse voluit priusquam res fierent praeformavit. There is no hierarchy among these types as there was among the Platonic ideas. Still, Erigena, following the pseudo-Dionysians, enumerates ten first primordial causes. These types are in God. Consequently, they are intelligent, understanding themselves and understanding the things of which they are types. They are indeed made, but made from all eternity, for they are co-eternal with God. Of this co-eternity, however, Erigena is not altogether certain. The primordial causes proceeded from the Father by a process which is figuratively described as a flowing. We must be careful not to conclude too hastily as has sometimes been done, that Erigena identified the primordial causes, the world of ideas, with the second person of the Blessed Trinity. The Son is begotten from all eternity. From all eternity, too, the primordial causes were made. They are in the Son, of the same substance as the Father, yet, as the defenders of Erigena have conclusively shown, they are not the Son. Here, as well as in his treatment of the first division of nature, Erigena's pantheism is apparent. He maintains that by the emanation or flowing of the ideas from God, 
the divine nature creates itself. Creator enim asiepsa in primordialibus, causis ac per hoc siepsam creat. He goes on, however, to explain that the creation, in this case, consists in a showing forth, theophania, of the divine nature. 3. Natura quae creatur et non creat means the world of phenomena, things subject to change and to the conditions of time and space. Quae in generatione temporibusque et locis cognoscuntur hoc est in primordialium causarum effectibus extremis. Individual things, creatures as we call them, are derived from God. They participate in the divine nature, for all derivation is participation. Now the order of derivation is from the Father to the primordial causes, and from these to concrete individual existences. In the Word, which is the locus of the primordial causes, all things are in a condition of comparative undifferentiation. But when they issue forth from the Word to become the complex world of concrete things, they suffer separation, differentiation and multiplicity. Our philosopher illustrates his thoughts by referring to the radii of a circle. At the centre of all, the radii are united, but as they proceed towards the circumference, they become distinct and separate. The separation of the primordial causes is the work of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit who in the beginning moved over the face of the waters. The derivation of all things proceeded in definite order through the highest genera, lower genera, intermediate species, and special species to the individual. Thus did Erigena hypostatize, as it were, the categories and lay down the principle of the most rigorous realism, that the categories of thought and being exist outside the mind in all their universality. We may, then, describe the process of the origin of things as an emanation, or flowing, from the first principle of existence. Erigena calls the process a theophania, or showing forth of the divine nature, and it is in this sense that the supreme principle of existence pervades or runs through all nature. For theos is derived from theu, to run. Creation, in the common acceptation of the term, does not apply to the origin of things, yet, since God has made all things out of his own substance, and since, in the meaning already described, he is non-existent, he may be said to have made all things ex nihilo. The fourth division of nature is natura quae nec creator nec creat. This is God as the end of all things, the goal to which all created beings must return. Everywhere in the universe, Erigena finds traces or signs of the final return of creatures to their creator. The heavenly sphere is constantly returning to the point where it was 24 hours previously. In four years, the sun completes its course in the celestial circle, returning to the point whence it started. There is a period set for the return of the flowers and leaves and herbs. And so, all creatures, 
at the completion of the cosmic cycle, will return to the principle whence they came. This is especially true of man, for the life of man on earth is but a striving after the true, the beautiful, the good, the perfect, from which he came and to which he must return, ere he can find rest. God, who revealed himself in creation, will retire within himself in the final apocatastasis, or universal return of creature to creator. Just as creatures emanated from God according to definite order, so shall they return to him in order, the lower through the higher. As air is changed into light and metal into fire, so shall bodily substance be changed into soul, and, in like manner, whatever is inferior shall rise through the higher forms to God. This doctrine of Erigena, on the one hand, reminds us of the Heraclitian doctrine of the upward and downward way, and on the other hand, suggests the Hegelian theory of divine processes. Problem of Universals Although the problem of universals was not proposed to the scholastics of Erigena's day, our philosopher treats incidentally of the existence of the categories and placing himself on the side of the extreme realists affirms the objective reality of the highest genera as well as of the individual. Indeed, he goes farther than the Platonic realists when, not content with affirming the logical unity of the concept of being, he attributes to being objective or ontological unity, affirming that being is one. Erigena's psychological doctrines do not occupy an important place in his system of thought. He divides the cognitive powers of the minds into sensible and supersensible. The sense faculty is one, the so-called five senses being merely the different organs which the sense employs. The higher or supersensible faculties are threefold. Imaging the Trinity. The first is intellect, nous, by which the mind contemplates God, the source and author of all things. The second is reason, logos, by which the mind contemplates the primordial causes in the word. The third is internal sense, dianoia, by which the mind attains a knowledge of the world of phenomena. Circa effectus causarum primordialium, sive visibilis, sive invisibilis sint, circumvolvitur. Now while these three are merely phases of the soul, the first is properly the essential nature of the soul, the second is a power, dunamis, and the third is a kind of energia, or actuality of the soul. The evolutional march of knowledge is twofold, from the higher to the lower, that is, from an intuitive knowledge of God, gnostico intuitu, to a knowledge of primordial causes, and thence to a knowledge of concrete things, and from the lower to the higher, that is, from sense experience to the internal sense, which abstracts the specific and generic concepts, and thence through a knowledge of primordial causes to a knowledge of God himself. The descending march of knowledge corresponds to the origin of things from God. The ascending march corresponds to the return of things to God. Thus, in his theory of knowledge, Erigena 
is inclined to admit Aristotelian as well as Neoplatonic principles. He is, however, in final analysis, a Neoplatonist, for he teaches that the knowledge which most avails is knowledge of which the origin and starting point is God himself. With regard to self-knowledge, the soul can know its own existence but not its essence, and herein the soul is most like to God, for of God we can know merely that he is, not what he is. The reason adduced in proof of the soul's inability to know itself is interesting. A definition, our philosopher argues, is a place, but the containing is greater than the contained. If therefore the soul could define itself, it should be greater than itself, which is manifestly absurd. Anthropological Doctrines Man is composed of body and soul. Homo autum corpus et anima est. The soul is a simple spiritual substance. It is the principle of life. Moreover, the soul creates the body. Anima corpus suum ipsa creat non tamem de nihilo sed de aliquo. Anima namque incorporales qualitates in unum conglutinante et quasi quodum subjectum ipsis qualitatibus ex quantitate sumente et supunte corpus sibi creat? The essence of the soul, as we have seen, is intellect. Its essential nature includes will also, tota animae natura voluntas est. In fact, will and intellect are indissolubly associated. Ubi rationabilitas ibi necessario libertas. In the first man who was created in a state of happiness and lived a life like to that of the angels were contained in sola possibilitate in all his successors. Simul ac semel in illo uno homine omnium hominum rationes secundum corpus et animam creatae sunt. This postulate being granted, it was easy for Erigena to explain the transmission of original sin. Historical position. When we come to form an estimate of Erigena as a philosopher, we must not allow his many brilliant qualities to blind us as to the enormity of his errors. He was without doubt the most learned man of his century. He was the first of the representatives of the new learning to attempt a system of constructive thought, and he brought to his task a truly Celtic wealth of imagination and a spiritual force which lifted him above the plane of his contemporaries, mere epitomizers and commentators. His philosophy has all the charm which pantheism always possesses for a certain class of minds. It is subtle, vague and poetic. When we come to examine its contents and method, we find that it is dominated by the spirit of Neoplatonism. Through the works of Pseudo-Dionysus and of Maximus, Erigena made acquaintance with the teachings of Plotinus and Proclus, and when he came to construct his own system of thought, he reproduced the essential traits of Neoplatonic philosophy, pantheism, the doctrine of intuition, mysticism and universal redemption. The work De Divisione Naturae was condemned in 1225. Its heterodoxy is undeniable. 
Yet we cannot doubt the sincerity of Erigena's devotion to the truth of Catholic dogma. He was, as Anastasius, the Roman librarian, described him, vir per omnia sanctus. Perhaps his attitude towards dogmatic truth is best described in the words of Gale, who first published the De Divisione Naturae. Potuet ergo errare, hieraticus esse noluit. Erigena illustrates the many-sidedness of the scholastic movement. To classify as anti-scholastic whatever does not agree with the synthetic systems of the great masters of scholasticism is to break the line of continuous historical development which led through the failures and partial successes of Erigena, Abelard and other philosophers to the philosophy of the 13th century. Scholasticism, in its final form, is the outcome of the forces of Christian civilization, which, in different conditions and in less favourable circumstances, produced the imperfect scholasticism of the period of beginnings and the period of growth. End of chapter 25